everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 69th episode of Make Ours Marvel, where we're journeying through September 1964, trying not to make sexual innuendos. <laughs> I was just going to say, resist. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we covered three comics from September last episode. We are going to be covering, um, six, no, three more comics today from the second week of September, which of course had six comics and would have three this time, three next time. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll dive right in. We're starting with, um, the earliest chronologically in the, in the, uh, comics from that week. And that is going to be Sergeant Fury 12. So who has this one, Mike? You do, you do. I'm so happy. Really? You know, I think that's just happening every other time now, huh? Because we're in some sort of rhythm where yeah, I feel we, like I feel like I cover Fury and Spider-Man every other issue now or something like that. Well, there are nine comics per month. So if they're coming out, if, if, if the chronology order matches up from week from month to month, then yeah, we should be alternating comics. Mm-hmm. So which one of the Howlers deserts under fire and why? Dumb, dumb. <laughs> he is a dumb, dumb, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. So this comic is entitled when a howler turns traitor. It is possibly the most dramatic battle thriller ever written by Sergeant Stan Lee. Perhaps the finest example yet of the artistic skill of Corporal Dick Ayers. A new inking triumph by George Bell and another lettering victory by Sam Rosen. So we open with all the Howlers just hanging out in a pub in England because that's where they're based in this comic series is England. And um, they hear some uh, broadcast from Axis Sally talking about how any Germans or Italians who are allied soldiers need to desert and come home. Don't fight your fatherland, etc., etc. And they're talking about how, you know, anyone who you know, grew up in a good country or I say good country, our side country, uh, who, you know, would deserve is, is horrible and et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, there are these air raids going on because that's one of the things that happens in England during the war is air raids and bombings. And the only thing left standing at this pub after the bombing is that radio where Axis Sally continues to talk. And, um, you know, Dino's a little bit touched because he realizes that a lot of his own people, a lot of his probably distant family members are conflicted over this whole war effort. So anyways, um, Happy Sam calls Fury and says, hey, you need to go over, uh, you need to go behind enemy lines and um, find one of those uh, missiles or bombers or something like that. So they're they're off on a trip. They go behind enemy lines. There's a mission. There's all sorts of shenanigans that happen. Um, but basically... Dino gets separated from the rest of the company and uh, he gets sent on a mission by the sergeant. Here's what happens. I just remembered. He gets sent by mission by the sergeant to pretend to desert so that he can get behind enemy lines even better and, um, you know, do the job that they're trying to do. He doesn't tell any of the other howlers, though. So whenever Dino is like, comrade, comrade, I want to surrender. I want to join the Wehrmacht. Uh, the rest of the Howler's like, what the even? I can't believe my own two eyes. That's Dino Manelli. He's as Howler as Howler can be. What's he doing? And um, Fury's like, okay, we got to get out of here. Come on, let's go. But while they're clearing out, Fury ends up getting hurt and getting left behind by the other Howlers. 
And so you have Dino behind, uh, enlisting with the Axis people. You have Sergeant Fury getting taken prisoner. And you have the other Howlers saying, oh my gosh, our life is horrible. What are we going to do? Uh, I'm kind of glossing over a lot of the details of the plot here. But um, basically what happens is Dino gets recovered by the Howlers and they are going to execute him for desertion and for uh, going over to the other side. And there's lots of tension as far as what's going to happen, you know, because everyone, no one there knows that he wasn't really deserting. All the Howlers have found this like hatred in their hearts for him because he's, you know, gone over to the other side. Sergeant Fury is like carving his way out of prison with a freaking spoon, all Shawshank style. And, um, Basically, the tension comes to a head on the last page where they're about to pull the trigger on Dino Manelli. And Sergeant Fury is able to finally arrive in a Jeep at just the last minute saying, Hold it, Dino's innocent. He's not a deserter. I sent him to the Nazis. Do you hear me? I said him. And um, everything, you know, gets held up and it's back to normal on the last page with Sergeant Fury yelling at everybody. Very abrupt ending. Like, I think even the caption says, Well, we just ran out of pages. So. Yeah. Use your, use your imagination between these two panels because, <laughs> like, there's no reaction once Nick gets there to reveal that it was mm-hmm. all fake. Like, we don't get that scene because they have only one more panel left. So they just jump right to the, like, everything back to normal thing. Kind of funny. F- I feel like Dino is one of the few characters who actually gets stories. He does because he got that, that one time they were in Italy and he was feeling it then, you know, to see his own people. Mm-hmm. Being being oppressed and how the country looked after the, during the war and stuff like that, I think it's interesting. Like they allude to him being an actor initially, but this one seems like he's just straight up Dean Martin. You know, like he uh, even says like you should recognize me because I'm an act. I'm a famous Hollywood actor, and they're all and all the evil Italian guys are like, oh yeah, we know who you are. Oh wait a second, he's Dino Martinelli, isn't he? Yeah, Dean Martin. Yeah, but see, I always thought that was just kind of a tongue-in-cheek, but let's not really be too blatant about it. But in this story, they're just like straight up, he's cashing in his celebrity to be believed by these Italians he's trying to defect to. So here's the thing. When we first started covering this series like 75 years ago, Uh um, I remember that there was some really obvious connection between Dino Martinelli and a very specific actor, and Uh I couldn't remember it. I've made the connection with Dino Martinelli and Dean Martin before, but I had forgotten it. This is literally the first time I've had that thought since we've started covering the series. Oh, yeah. He even looks like him, kind of, because they have the same hairstyle. Right. And accented eyebrows and blue eyes and stuff. So you can picture picture Dean Martin in the Howling Commandos. It's kind of funny. (laughs) It is kind of funny. Um, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this because it's, I mean, it's a good story. and, and uh, Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I like that Dino, you know, has gotten some some treatment. I feel like, you know, Dum Dum Dugan is probably the best known howler. And yet the only thing, the only thing we know about him is he hates his mother-in-law and his, I, and his wife. I think he's the best known howler because he transfers over into S.H.I.E.L.D. with Nick. So everybody knows Nick and Dum Dum by name because they're in a lot of like, you know, Captain America and shield comics. And he's really visually accessible. Yeah. And he's like a character in there. He's like the thing to Nick's Mr. Fantastic or whatever. But, uh, we also just know that they used to be howlers, even though most of us have probably not read this series. So that's why we just know these two and nobody else. But, um, the, the pathos and the drama with his betrayal and everyone else feeling betrayed is, 
is really well done. Dino mm-hmm. thinks at one point on page uh, eight, I think it is panel four. The worst part is having the howlers think I really am turning traitor. But if you wanted that way, Sarge, here goes. And it's it's just it's hard. Mm-hmm. I think I mean I've probably said this before, but if if I was going to not be lazy and actually get around to being like an expert in a war, it'd be World War Two. And I particularly love the propaganda business. Mm-hmm. And so this opening business where like there's this person named Access Access Sally who broadcasts to get because you know America is a melting pot, so there are actually especially back then there were uh, nationalities that represented some of the people we were fighting. So. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's this lady saying, hey, if you're really Italian, you should come back on our side and be Italian. And Well, let's face it, there still are a lot of, you know, kind yeah. of forces, you know, nations in the world or forces in the world that, you know, are considered enemies of America. But people from those nations are here happy being Americans and they get treated like trash. So Access Sally is a real thing. Yeah. Um, oh, Access I, Sally, the, very, the name is a real thing? It's a real person in real life that happened. There's two of okay. them, actually. There's one named Rita Zuka who broadcasted in Italy and North Africa. So we're probably not talking about that one. But the one that's more interesting is Mildred Gillers, who was an American and was employed by Germany to be a traitor, which she, I guess, happily did. And then eventually the United States caught her and she became the first female to be convicted of treason against the United States. Oh, wow. So that's kind of fun. But she she got sentenced to like 10 to 30 and apparently lived out her life because she died at 87. I don't know. No firing okay. squad. So she did her, her prison term and then went home. Yeah. But I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. For some reason, like this war in particular, it seems like it's very important to, to sway the passions. Right, right. With posters and commercials and, you know, all these things. It's kind of neat. Well, I was talking to my daughter about this recently. Um, you know, TV is in its infancy now. Most people aren't seeing the war through TV. They're only getting the war through, uh, th- you know, newsreels and radio. And so mm-hmm. it's not it's not as real to people at home as war will eventually become, which mm-hmm. is part of why, you know, Vietnam is such a sticking point. Um, and so it's really all about propaganda. It's really just manipulating people's emotions about you know, what's going on because there's no like actual grounded connection to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the, the Nazis take Dino in and immediately like start showing him stuff and telling him secrets and everything. And I feel like that was kind of a weird risky move for them. Yeah. But see that again, he's cashing on a celebrity. I don't know if that had any sway over it. And also in the end, he just runs away and it's just a way for him to get behind enemy lines. Cause I guess once he, actually achieves his mission it has little to do with what they showed him because he just steals a car and goes to find this train that has the whatever that thing is that jet thing on it right um buzz bomber is what it's called i do think the timeline is a little skewy like it's one of those comics where you're just going how long would all this really take because like they they try him and you know arrest him and try him and sentence him to death and i imagine that should take more than a day and then meanwhile, Nick is shoveling out of a prison with a spoon. So that should probably take more than a day. So like, yeah. is this like a month later, a year later, six months? What's going on? You know, the cutting back and forth has a very cinematic quality to it. But you're right. The stuff that's happening at home is taking very short amounts of time. Whereas the stuff that's happening with Nick should take quite a while to transpire. Yeah. But I don't know, because I, I think if you sentence a U.S. soldier to death, hopefully it's not a quick process, but. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I don't During know. wartime, maybe it is. Uh, By the way, like- can they just do that? Just 
sentence a U.S. guy to you know, hey, you were you 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 were treasonous, and so we're just going to shoot you. I mean, is that a thing that we did? I don't know how much court martials courts martial have to be convened for that sort of thing. I mean, it was well, I would assume it would have to be. There would have to be some sort of trial, but you know, they're they're in the field. Maybe maybe since it's in the field in wartime. There might be a lot of shortcuts taken with stuff like that. I'm going to look that up because that are, always is something you associate with, like, you know, the evil Germans would would line people up to shoot them and stuff. But if Americans are doing that after trials, that's kind of evil, too, in yeah. my opinion. But I don't know. I mean, do they have the luxury for courts martial whenever there's, um, you know, violence and hostilities happening all around them? Or is that something that happens more whenever everything's calmed down? we have these charges against these people we can deal with it i don't know yeah. maybe he should be put in the brig until trial can be convened yeah really I, I don't know what the policy is on all that i don't either or was rather 70 years ago if you were in world war ii in england and you 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 know face court martial can you please write in that's very <laughs> specific but so one of the things in marvel at this time that's starting to become a small increase we've seen it in stuff like thor we're seeing it in Hulk, and that is continued stories. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, of course, you know, very common in other media, such as pulp novels and that sort of thing. And I did like whenever this the plane was going down. Don't start reading any continued stories, pal, because the plane is about to crash. And yeah. of course, that's going to be Marvel's staple. You know, in a, in a year or two, is always every book goes in and out of each other. You know, like there's no tomorrow, but. Um, this is one of the few books we've had that hasn't been to be continued yet, I don't think. Right? Uh, has it? I feel like pretty there sure. was one. Was there? Oh, pretty sure they just resolve all the time. I don't know. I'd have to look. Um, by the yeah. point where I've read, like two years from now, there have been some. Okay. I feel like there was one in this so far. Like something, with, I don't know, but I don't know what it would have been. Um, and yeah, this was... Even though I don't have a whole lot to say about it, this was one of my favorite issues so far. The cover, the hyperbole on the cover did not lie. And uh, this is this is pretty great. Yeah, it was good. It's nice to get into somebody else's head once in a while besides Nick Fury. So that was that was fun that someone else got to star in the book for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Should we move on? Let us move on to a tale of strangeness. Strange Tales, number 127, the Human Torch and the ever-loving thing risk their lives to meet the mystery villain. You want to take a guess at who it is before we start? Is it Super Scroll? It is not. They did that already. <laughs> um, let's see. The mystery villain, written by the overlord of originality, Stan Lee, illustrated by the Archduke of Action, Dick Ayers, inked by the High Priest of Highlights, Paul Reinman, lettered by the Llama of Lexi- Lexicography... Art Semek. They're really reaching on that one. <laughs> right? Um, and it starts with the drag race, Fantastic Four style. So it mean, that means the thing is in one kind of weird chip thing. I don't think this is the uh, that thing they have. That uh, What's that called? The Fantastic Car. This looks like something else. So the thing is in some sort of flying Fantastic Plane. And Reed Richards is in a flying Fantastic Plane. And the Human Torch is just flying. And they're having a race. And the Human or Reed Richards is like... You know, Johnny, you might be able to beat us, but you're going to flame out here soon, so be careful. And he's not wrong, because he's never wrong. And Johnny runs out of energy and manages to make it over the water before he crashes. 
He's kind of annoyed and even more annoyed when Reed reaches a stretchy hand in to rescue him because he's like, I know how to swim, dang it. You don't always have to tell me what to do and always be the leader. And who elected you leader anyway? And he's like, remember that time I beat that awesome wizard guy in Pastepot Pete? And even that one time that the thing and I beat up Submariner even though he was coming for a peace talk? Yeah, we should be the leader. And Reed's like, fine. You know what? I don't even you want to whatever with either of you so you know what just go do what you want because i'm busy so they go back home the two of them human torch and the thing because they're a buddy buddy team now and they're like what should we do with our cool new fantastic two team and just then uh a willy lumpkin looking guy delivers the mail and the mail is an invitation to an auto race in the salt flats and They've never been tricked by that before, so they go. And when they get there, it's kind of weird because nobody else is there. And there's this weird, mysterious guy with a fake mustache and a big glasses. And he's like, yeah, no one else is coming. It's just a race between you two. And it's going to be monitored on this you know, radio television thing. So it's going to be awesome. And they're both like, yeah, this is awesome. So they jump in their respective cars. And the goal is to like make it to this uh, Castle Rock Mountain kind of thing and then spin around, a, spin a Yui and come back and whoever gets to the finish line first wins. So they both take off, only to immediately find out that actually the cars have a mind of their own. They're not controlling them. And not only that, they're sealed inside. Um, Johnny's uh, 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 whatever is like airtight so he can't flame on. And the thing is, doesn't think he could survive if he just busted out because they're going so fast. Um, and these automatic robot cars take them to Castle Rock, but instead of going around, it goes inside like Batcave style. There's like a door that opens up and they go inside and, and then a big iron door closes behind it. So now they're stuck in this Castle Rock cave. Um, the doors or the canopy of the race cars open and they are greeted by a mysterious villain. I don't think he gives a name or anything, but he's pretty much head to toe in green. He's got like a mask on and he's like, welcome to my lair, gentlemen. Now I'm going to beat you up. So of course they don't like that and they try and beat him up, but he's got like, um, he's got like asbestos guns ready to go. And then the thing tries to smash him, but he dodges out of the way and the thing ends up like stuck in rock like a doof. Um, And then Johnny's like, well, I can go supernova. And he creates a, awesome flame cage and the thing puts rocks all over the cage so there's like no way this can guy guy can get out but as soon as they blink and turn around he's out how did that happen but before they uh uh fight him again johnny realizes wait a minute there's a little tiny crack where the thing made that rock cage only one guy could get out of that and they turn around and sure enough it's Mr. Fantastic. He took he takes his green mask off and reveals that it was him the whole time, wanting to show them what morons they are. And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, don't rub it in. And they decide to, I guess, let him continue to be the leader because he's a big jerk. The end. All right. So um, this is our eighth from the end. Strange shows <laughs> issue. I like how we summarize these and then tell ourselves what the number is again. Assuming you hadn't read this before, did you figure out the bad guy's identity before the reveal? I haven't read this before, and I figured it out before it even got going, because it says on the cover, mystery villain, and it's just like, what else could this be? You're making Mr. Fantastic mad, so now he's going to show you that you guys are worthless without him. 
It's it's a very like Saturday, like not Saturday, but like an after school special kind of thing. It's I don't know. It's it's a weird effort on Reed's part to like. And I'm not sure what mad. it proves either. Yeah. But it's kind of know. a juvenile tactic, actually. It is. Like, is I, he saying that he could defeat the green monster if he was there? Because it's him. So I don't know. What does that even mean? I don't know. And really, are they still playing the whole who's going to be leader of the group card? Because haven't we done that? Like, just recently, really hammered that out. We've not only done that, but they're also still falling for these dumb, like, you're invited to a car thing trap. <laughs> like, God, how many times are you going to do this, Johnny? Every single time. It doesn't work. Um, Johnny pulls out the whole, like, I've fought all these bad guys. Uh-huh. And, like, I can only imagine Reed is, like, patiently letting him talk about them because it's Pace, Pot, Pete, and the Wizard. Mm-hmm. And also, Johnny's like, and remember that time that I botched the peace talks with Namor? I know. That's my favorite part. He, like, uses one example that's actually a horrible example of his, you know, abilities to be a leader. And the guy who sets up the race, the chief mechanic who greets them with the Tony Stark look. Mm-hmm. Is that also Reed? I assume it must be because it's like his identity is obscured. I just figured it was. How did he get all this set up? Like, did he right. always did he always have this mountain ready to go for something? I don't know. Because it's awfully just, fast. Is he just using a course that already exists for other purposes? Maybe. But I felt like that was Reed. But then I was like, okay, yeah, but they go at super speed to the end of the oh. track. And Reed's there waiting for them. So, like... Oh, it feels weird being read in both places, but the, 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 the race guy is like not explained otherwise. Well, he does have a time travel device, so maybe he used it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Does he have what? Hermione's time turner? <laughs> right. He went back five minutes and ran over to the thing or something. Um, yeah. It's just weird. Marvel's so into their fighting. Like that doesn't even, there's so many other ways to prove that they shouldn't be leaders besides beating them in a fight. Cause that doesn't yeah. really mean you can't be a leader. It just means no. you lost a fight. Right. I don't know. It's silly, especially a brainiac like Reed. Like that was your, that was your way to prove something like this. Like just punching people. Eh. Did I mention a couple episodes back with the fantastic four, how many aunt Petunia references we've had? No. Did you count that? I did. Cause I was like, I wonder how many there have been. And turns out this is only four. Like, oh, wow. They just started making Ampetunia references around issue 30, 31-ish. You know, what's interesting about this story, they do say, is that the Avengers have no leader, which we already knew, I guess. But just saying it is kind of interesting. And then at the end, he's like, he's like, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, but you lack the maturity of the Avengers and Ben lacks the their deliberation. So it's like interesting because I don't know, like the Avengers don't seem like they're all together either somehow. I don't know. No, they probably put a better front to the public than they have actually going on. But I thought they did have a leader. I thought they have said, Reed, you are the leader. No, I like, mean, the no, the Avengers have no leader. They're, oh, they their said point, the Avengers have no leader. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Their point to Reed was, why do we need a leader? The Avengers don't have a leader. Also, how do they know weird. the Avengers don't have a leader? Like, why yeah. is that public knowledge? <laughs> right. Maybe they all have luncheons or something. Do they publish their rules of order? Like on the internet yes. or something? God, they love their charters and rosters and stuff. They probably do. Here's our handbook. The thing is in that car and it's going crazy and he's afraid he's going to be hurt. Do you think he would actually be hurt or is he just like reasonably scared? See, I didn't think he'd be hurt either, but I don't know. I think like his powers at this point are kind of all over the place, it seems like. He's just strong and tough. 
like the re the thing I think of from when I was growing up would not be hurt by jumping out of a moving car, no matter how fast it was going. But right, I don't know. Also, um, airtight to the point where he can't generate flame. So, feels like it should be airtight to the point where you're going to choke to death too. But yeah, I don't. It's know. airtight, but there is air. So if you can't flame on, then you can't breathe. Right. Like oxygen is required for both of those processes. And, and if you can't do one, you can't do the other. And 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 put a pin in that because next story we're going to say the same thing. Oh, okay. Now, how tired do you think Johnny is after this story? Um, really tired because this cave was also apparently running out of oxygen. And that was one I think I skipped that in the summary, but they were trying to get out and neither of them could do it. And they were about to pass out and die when Reed finally revealed himself. So he's probably exhausted. Well, evidently, our last panel here is all three of them flying back in some sort of Fantastic Four pogo rocket or something. Uh-huh. Evidently, they're going to like drop Johnny off at the 7-Eleven for a Slurpee or something. <laughs> right. Because we're going to see him in the next comic we talk about in this episode flying home, really exhausted after this event. I kind of wondered, just in my head canon, I thought, because they're kind of arguing still, like they didn't, they didn't put their tail between their legs and just agree that Reed is awesome. They kind of just find him to be annoying. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if maybe the head canon could be that he just jumps out of this pogo rocket to fly home by himself because he's sick of talking to him. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, it's like, it's not quite, there, there, is a, there is a little disconnect between them all being in this rocket and then in Spider-Man, he's by himself for some reason. So I'm trying to figure out how jaded I am with this series because like the mechanics of the story pretty much work and the gimmick with Reed being a mystery villain even makes this a little bit memorable as far as like, you know, it it stands out a little bit in my Uh mind for the series, Uh but there's nothing in this that's making me say, go read this. Is this, is this a good story? Am I just jaded or is this just not great? I don't enjoy, I, like I've said, like the torch and giant man stories, I'm just not digging for some reason. I don't know. We have lost they, all love for these comics. They both just seem kind of juvenile. Like Torch, Torch almost worked initially in some ways because, like, it's weird. I still think it's super weird that they went the route they went because he is a teenage superhero and they have another teenage superhero that they're writing pretty well. It's like they have a teenage superhero comic for young readers and a teenage superhero comic for mature readers. Yeah. Not mature readers like the rating that gets slapped on comics today, but, you know, older yeah. readers. Like, when so, was the last time we saw his high school or anything right? like that? You know, they, they were doing that initially, and I thought, well, there's some fodder for drama or something, but they never develop any characters with that. It's so weird. It's like they started out doing a Superboy shtick, but not very good at it, and then they just, like, dropped everything that was Superboy about it, and now it's just – it feels real like just cheap Marvel fare at this point. Yeah. This could be a Spider-Man book where Spider-Man's identity is public. How interesting would that be? That would be interesting. Right. Like, what would Johnny's life, what would Peter's life be like if everybody knew he was Spider-Man, if he was a celebrity, you know? I don't know. But speaking of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange. Let's do Doctor Strange, yeah. (laughs) So the second part of this awesome comic, the better story, in my opinion, but uh, is the duel with the Dread Dormammu Part 2. Story by Stan Lee, Master of Macabre Menace. Art by Steve Ditko, Weaver of Wondrous Witchcraft. Lettered by S. Rosen, Sultan of Speedball Sorcery. Wait, Speedball? That's another Ditko hero. It is. Is that where he got this from? Probably not. What what was Speedball before Speedball? Was that actually a term for something? I I guess it's an adjective for bouncing and fast. Wow. I don't know if I knew that. 
I but don't anyway. think I knew that either. I'm just trying to guess. <laughs> um, okay, so where we left off was Doctor Strange making his way through Dormammu's uh, world. Uh, I think it's just called a dimension. I don't know if it has an actual name. But, the Dark uh, Realm. The Dark Realm, of course. Um, he was making his way through to confront Dormammu because Dormammu is going to invade Earth and the Ancient One can't stop him. So he's going to take it upon himself to stop him. He makes it to the guy and then it was to be continued. And we pick up right where we left off. Um, but Dormammu is like, you know what? Beating people like you is boring and stuff. So before we fight, I'm going to send you to your room or a room because it's not your room and make you really think about whether you want to fight me because – I don't know. It's a drag to have to kill you for 10 minutes, I guess, is his point. So while he's in there thinking, that unnamed girl, who will remain unnamed in this story, uh, shows up that he encountered before. And she's like, you can't beat Dormammu. And he's like, no, no. I know. I probably can't. Stop telling me that. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Whether you can beat him or not, you shouldn't beat him. And here's why. And then she creates like this portal. And apparently inside the dark realm... There's an even weirder dimension full of these big monstery mole man looking creatures that shoot lasers out of their faceless faces. And she's like, the thing is, Dormammu keeps all this at bay from the dark realm. And there's people like me who live in the dark realm. So if you kill Dormammu, this stuff will invade and kill all of us. So now Doctor Strange is like, well, dang, she seems cool. So there's probably other cool dark realm inhabitants and i don't know maybe i shouldn't kill dormammu because i don't want these people to die but on the other hand dormammu is invading earth and that's my people and i don't want them to die so ultimately he decides to favor with his own people and he takes on dormammu anyway when he gets there he finds out that unnamed girl has been captured by dormammu because she was a traitor for telling dr strange information um they get into the fight there's a lot of you know ditko stanley magic stuff um, but then he's doing better than Dormammu thought. Dormammu thinks he can still win, but Doctor Strange is putting up a better fight. And to the point where Dormammu's uh, um, concentration on keeping that other reality out is waning. So those monsters are starting to push through. And once that happens, Dormammu stops his fight with Doctor Strange, focuses totally on trying to rebuild those walls. Can't quite do it because he's sort of weakened from the fight. So Doctor Strange is like, you know what? I guess I better help because I really don't want these monsters in here to kill all of us, including myself. So he uses his amulet to augment Dormammu's powers, which allow him to reseal that dimension. Um, at which point Dormammu, you know, even though he's an evil jerkhead, he's one of those evil jerkheads who has honor, I guess, because he's like, ah, I owe you now. So what do you want? And Doctor Strange says, I want you to agree not to kill this unnamed woman. And I want you to agree not to invade Earth. And he says, OK, I promise to do both those things, but I'll get you and your little dog, too. Um, and then Doctor Strange says, OK, woman, you want to come with me? And she's like, no, I'm going to stay here. But someday we'll date. And then he goes back. And the Ancient One is floating around all spry like a newborn chicken. And Doctor Strange is like, what's going on with you? He's like, well, Dormammu this whole time has like had a spell over me, which has made me kind of even more old than I already am. And you just broke that. So I'm feeling pretty good. So here's a new cape. Here's a new amulet. Um, and, and do you now, want to date? I'm sorry? 
And do you want to date? <laughs> and do you want to date? Yeah. Here's a new cave. Here's a new amulet. And, uh, you know, you're really on your way to being the new Sorcerer Supreme after I'm gone. So I'm really proud of you. And that's the end. Yeah. Um, this was, I don't know, this was pretty, pretty fun and pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. The mindless ones. The mindless ones are one of those, like, you know, nameless hordes. Not nameless, uh-huh. but like, you know, faceless hordes like shows up every now and then, especially mystical stories. Mm-hmm. And I never really, you know, they're the mindless ones. I don't know who they are. They just show up sometimes. But I guess this is their like introduction. They're just this evil force that is like in the dark dimension. It's going to destroy everything. There's not much else to them. Yeah, I thought this story was going to be like like they do with Thor. You know, every time we have a two-parter with Thor, the second part is just fighting pretty much. Right. And I was like, oh, so there's just going to be this big... 12 page fight with Dormammu, but I liked that they upped the stakes and made it so like, do it, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, if you defeat Dormammu. So that was a more interesting uh, situation. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It is weird that the woman still has no name. She's not yeah. going to have a name for a really long time. We talked about her name last time, but if you missed it too bad, yeah. um, she's just going to be this mysterious nameless girl who is captive of Dormammu. Well, they didn't really explain her last time either. I think she had one thought bubble about her father or something. Um, right. But like, apparently they they live here, so there's people who live here, which is interesting. It's so, not just his weird, creepy hell realm or something. Doctor Strange, who, who of course I should mention is portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe by uh, Beach Twelve Coastal Reef. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a cloak that is blue. It has like the really high, can't see around it popped collar. Mm-hmm. And he takes it off. And underneath is his tunic that is blue with a really high, can barely see around it popped collar. So he has a collar under his collar. Yeah. And then the cape he got, I guess that's the more traditional because now now the high collar is more like little horn thingies or something. Right. And, and it's yellow in this, but it's going to be red. I was going to say they colored it wrong, but it also has that pattern on it that's more traditional for him so Mm -hmm. i guess next story he'll look more like dr strange and i thought he already had an amulet but he gets a new amulet he did have an amulet because he used it to power dormammu right and i thought it was his his amulet amulet because isn't that the amulet that has the eye on it or something like that? right isn't that like the eye of agamotto have they called it that have they called it that is the question i don't know that they've called it that i think he just calls it his enchanted amulet so maybe this is the eye of whatever. Right. I don't Long know. A-word. Yeah. Because it kind of looks like on that last page, page 10, that it looks kind of like an eye. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's what it's going to be. They make a point of giving it to him. So you hope next story they talk about it, whatever it is. Yeah, we'll explore those ideas mm-hmm. in the next story maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Dormammu captures Mysterious Nameless Girl because – he says because she betrayed him whenever she did no such thing. So I like a diabolical Dormammu. I'm not too fond of Dormammu being pointlessly petty. Like he's just <laughs> yeah. taking her ha- captive really yeah. for no reason. If anything, she was in support of him because she was trying to convince Dr. Strange not to fight him, which is what he wanted also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There is um, there's a point in page six. Dormammu says, bah. A mere conjurer's cone. I dabbled with such puny tricks when I was but a child. And I can just imagine him as like a, a, a little campfire <laughs> walking around. How are these things children? I don't know. Right. Like what is a, a Tales of Child Dormammu? Look, what does that look like? Who was dad? Who was mom? I don't know. That, that doesn't imply Dormammu parents. You're right. Dormammu and Dordaddy. Yeah. 
I always think these things are just like eternal things that have always existed, but who knows how that works. Um, the, the mysterious nameless girl, like starts implying that she might love this Dr. Strange person that she barely hasn't even really met. They just like encounter each other a couple times in passing. Uh-huh. And so he's like, will you take, will you go with me? And she's like, no, it's here. I belong no matter where my heart shall be, but I shall never forget you. Well, she did just watch him stand up to like the scariest, baddest thing she's ever known in her life and almost win. So oh, yeah, that might have, might maybe have that tugged at her a little bit, but yeah, she should probably at least find out what he's interested in first. Right. What kind of, what kind of guy he is. Maybe he's just that pretty. Yeah. How do you hang the toilet paper roll, Dr. Strange? That's important stuff. <laughs> do you follow the diagram of a toilet paper roll inventor or do you do it wrong? <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, this was this was definitely a fun story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely I liked more it. enjoyable than the first uh, Torch story and uh, makes me want more Doctor Strange. It's actually, of all the Doctor Strange we've done so far, probably the peak of the series so far. So with Giant Man and the Hulk split, Hulk just takes over, right? No. No? Giant Man gets replaced. With who? Namor the Submariner. Okay. But then what happens with this book? It just uh, goes away? No. Doctor Strange continues on behind Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Fun. Okay. So, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a concept that is coming down the road. And um, that's... that's uh, Yeah, we haven't got that away. yet. We've had one modern Nick Fury um, so far, and he definitely wasn't S.H.I.E.L.D. He was CIA. CIA and had both eyes. Right. Yeah. Okay, should we do our third comic for the episode? I guess. This one's the least interesting, but yeah. Right. Ugh. Can't believe Amazing Spider-Man 19. Okay, before I before we do this, though, I have to say, this is our 200th comic book on this, on this podcast. Is it? Yes. Wow. Amazing Spider-Man 7 was our 100th issue. That was back when Avengers was only two issues old, and... Um, Ant-Man had just become Giant Man. Uh, yeah. Kirby was not on Thor yet. It was Journey to Mystery 98. We still liked Strange Tales a little bit. <laughs> what What year did this Spider-Man cartoon, was it around? Late 60s? 67. Okay. 1967 is what So that definitely happened. before my time, but I totally think of it every when I see this cover. Yeah, this this is the image that they use in the Spider-Man cartoon that like, uh-huh. swings towards you in the credits. Yep. Um, it's also in the comic itself, which made me wonder if the rest of the art was also lifted from the comic, but it's not. Okay. At least not that I saw. All right. So this is an adventure epic of most compelling excellence. Spidey strikes back featuring guest stars, super villains, super thrills. One of the most eagerly awaited action dramas of all time written by Spidey's godfather, Stanley illustrated by Spidey's big daddy, Steve Ditko note, the word daddy had none of the sexual connotations that it has now. So, <laughs> right. Recently, not recently, relatively recently, my daughter's like, I'm never going to have our, if, if I marry a man and we have children, they're never calling him daddy. And like, my first reaction was, what? What does that even mean? Because I didn't realize at the time just how daddy has become ingrained in younger culture as like a sexual name. Uh huh. But well, yeah, it's it like a whole role play thing now. Yeah. 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 So anyways, none of that lettered by Sam Rosen, Spidey's second cousin on his uncle's side. Awesome. 
All right. So this is the third part. Um, last time you remember, or you will if you really concentrate, uh, Peter Parker quit being Spider-Man publicly because he heard his aunt was sick. He had to run out of the um, the Spider-Man fan club meeting. Um, he has spent the entire last issue moping around life because he's full of stress. Because on top of being a teenager, he also has to take care of his sick aunt. They're running out of medicine. They don't have money. All this stuff. Um, he can't even be Spider-Man because it's dangerous because he can't risk getting hurt and not being able to take care of his aunt. At the end of the issue, his aunt gives him like this motivating speech about gumption and how Parker's are are made of sterner stuff than all that. Uh, she should tell that herself sometime next time Spider- Peter has to go out during a storm. Um, but... Peter's like, fine, I can do it. I can be Spider-Man. And he goes and he gets his costume and decides to fight back. And so this issue kicks off with action. There are some bank robbers running away. Spider-Man catches them, beats them up. News comes into J. Jonah Jameson. He's about to give a lecture in a lecture hall to a bunch of people about how Spider-Man is stupid. And a guy comes and whispers in his ear, um, Spider-Man's back. And um, you, you probably should know. And so Jane and like runs out on his own, um, his own speech. Meanwhile, the torch is flying back into town, super exhausted from the fight in strange tales, 127 against his, you know, brother-in-law, not brother-in-law yet, brother in dating. And uh, the enforcers catch him because he's so worn out. Um, and they fumigate him and Sandman who's working with the enforcers smothers torch in sand and they take torch away, put him in a low air chamber as bait to trap Spider-Man. So Spider-Man gets home. Aunt May's sleeping, goes as Peter Parker, goes to sleep. Next morning, Peter's all happy. Aunt May's all happy. Aunt May's feeling better. Peter goes to school. Um, they've all heard that Spider-Man's back. Flash is like, yeah, I'm cool again. Hey, Liz, did you hear about Spider-Man? She's like, I thought you were mad at me. He's like, no, I'm not mad at you. She's like, well, I'm mad at you. Why are you mad at me? Because you were mad at me. And she storms off. Um so Peter goes about life. He sees Fancy Dan walking around town with his with his uh, cigarette holder. Follows Fancy Dan into a house, um, just like like crawls into the house after him. But inside the house, lots of bad guys come out. Lots of stooges. Hey, look! It's Spider Man. And so Spider Man goes to fight. There's enforcers. There's bad guys. There's juking and jiving and punching and lunching. And um, the cops show up. We heard a lot of noise. And they, all the bad guys run away. Oh no! It's the cops. Um, so Peter goes home, uh, go, no, doesn't go home, goes to the newspaper office to see, uh, what's going on with life. And Hey, look, it's Betty Brandt. I wonder if I want to get nice Betty today or mean Betty today. It's kind of a weird bipolar, unhealthy relationship right now. Uh, oh, look, I'm getting, um, no longer single Betty today. That's what I'm getting. <laughs> Betty has a young man with her and this is Ned Leeds. She introduces Ned to Peter. Peter and Ned shake hands. And Peter is totally friendly. Hey, Ned, how's it going? Oh, yeah, Betty, no reason you shouldn't see other people. You know, we're good, whatever. I'm just going to go and talk to Mr. Jameson now. And Betty's like, did my dating another boy make my boyfriend? I don't know. She, She like gets jealous of Peter because he wasn't jealous enough of her uh-huh. it was weird uh-huh. anyways J. Jonah Jameson is a bad mood Peter wants to talk to him and he's like yeah, you have any new pictures well no but fine I got it. and he like slams the door in his face okay fine whatever I was just going to ask him if he wanted to see you know the enforcer pictures but I'll just go get the pictures so then um, back in enforcer headquarters Sandman and enforcer are cackling and Torch can't get out of the uh, the chamber because there's not enough air um, 
Peter grabs a, a, a guy off the street, say, hey, where's the enforcers? Where do they have the torch? What's going on? And the guy tells them, and then he calls uh, headquarters, hey, Spider-Man's on his way. So, you know, Spider-Man's on his way. And um, they lure a trap for him. Spider-Man finds the warehouse. He finds the, the vacuum tube, the torch is in, and he jumps on it. He doesn't notice the rough, yellowish, grainy texture on the top of the cylinder containing the torch until it comes alive because it's the Sandman. And um, Spider-Man starts fighting the Sandman, starts fighting enforcers, and there's all sorts of really awesome Ditko action. At one point, Spider-Man dodges the Sandman in Montana's lasso at once, turns into a bowling ball, rolls across the room and slams right into the uh, glass tube that contains the torch. So now the torch can join the fight. He can turn into the torch and fly around and be fiery. Um, and they're teaming up and they're doing great until Spider-Man shoots his web and the torch flies right in the way and they start like trying to dodge you. You know when you're walking down the hall and someone's walking towards you and you try to go the left and they go the same direction. Mm-hmm. You try to go the other direction and they go. Yeah, that's what they're doing only with webs. So they end up getting all tangled up in the webs and they're like, okay, hold on. Hey guys, guys, can you pause the fight for a second? We, we got tangled. Can you just, can you just give us a minute? Sorry. And, um, Peter, uh, Peter's like holding the webs up while Torch turns his hand into like this, this laser ball of energy and burns through the webs and they get all the webs off and hoof, no more webs. Okay. Hey guys, we can fight now, but the uh, Sandman has been caught by the police and he is too tired to fight back. Um, Peter or Spider-Man did manage to waylay all of the enforcers before all that happened. So he like did knock out the enforcers. The only bad guy left was Sandman. And I guess Sandman decided to run away while he had a chance, but he got captured by the police. Peter shows up at the daily bugle. Hey, Jonah, I've got pictures. Jonah's like, yay, pictures, money. Here you go. And uh, Peter's like, Hey Betty. And Betty's like, Hey Ned. And Ned's like, Hey Peter. And Peter's like, Hey Ned. And they kiss. No, not really. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So Peter leaves Betty and Ned Betty continues to get jealous of her boyfriend, not getting jealous of her. And meanwhile, dun, 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 there is a mysterious man in sunglasses following Peter Parker home. He trails him all the way to his house and then figuring he's uh, turned off the light and he's going to bed. He decides to call in. He calls his mystery boss, mystery boss in a bathroom. He's like, all right, stay there until you're relieved. I want him under surveillance every minute. I've got to know for certain. And then when I'm sure... I'll act. What is this? It's a big old question mark ending of Amazing Spider-Man 19. And I love this issue so much. It's pretty fun. It's pretty great. Before we get into it, Uh because I've meant to do this with each of the other two comics we've covered. I've forgotten. Uh In the house ads, there is an issue of the Fantastic Four. And they have been cut. Usually with the uh, says they show like three comics that show the covers. Hey, this is now on sale. Go get them. But the Fantastic Four has this big blurb over the cover saying, we don't want to show you this cover yet because we tried something new on it. We want you to be surprised. We can say this is stars Submariner and is one of Marvel's top issues of the year. Don't miss it. So I just want you to just want to know for next episode, the Fantastic Four issue that we're going to cover, they're very excited about the cover of this book. Oh, that is and pretty cool. I didn't notice that. So that's going on. Um, what do you think? I liked it. So here's the thing. Like, it's this is billed as, well, I don't know who builds it this way, but like a trilogy kind of. Right. And to me, it just seems more like a couple continuations in a row. It is a much looser trilogy than saying, yeah. you know, the one bad guy going from one story to the next story to the next story with cliffhangers at the end. Like if this was a trilogy trilogy, it'd be the Green Goblin still 
and he would have been wreaking havoc on the city now that Spider-Man's quit, and everybody's wondering why Spider-Man's not stopping him. And then the big comeback would be Spider-Man coming back to really beat him up. But we never see the Green Goblin again after that first part. So it's kind of weird. Like, where'd he go? Even though the Sandman's in 18, he barely encounters Spider-Man. I think it's more like a a superhero non-fight just to say, hey, there's superhero action in this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of like this setup, though, because the, the, the what binds it together as a trilogy is not the superhero side of the story. Mm-hmm. It's the Peter Parker drama. Yeah, that's true. The Peter Parker drama has made this, you know, an arc. And all of the stuff with Aunt May is resolved by this third point. But the third point is like the the um, payoff. Okay, you waited through all the drama. Here's like the best Spidey action we can give you as a payoff. Right. And there's a lot of awesome Spidey action. They gave us that. There is. There is. Um, it starts out with a great scene with the crooks mm-hmm. and then goes to one of my favorite sequences of panels. The, the, oh, my the, the God. The progression of, of Jonah's face. That is the greatest thing ever. Yes. I loved that. That's fantastic. First of all, him smiling is hilarious to begin with. But yeah. But yeah. We've yeah. got that big old wolf grin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was really fun. Um then it cuts to the part we were talking about earlier where, like, how'd the torch just start flying around? Um, this might be the weakest part of the plot for me is, like, what is their goal here? Are they just trying to capture every superhero? or Because that seems like a long game. I think it really is bait for Spider-Man. Okay. So they think Spider-Man's going to come back? Or he is come back already. Yeah, he came back earlier in this issue. So Right. So they want him to come attack them, essentially. But they want to... They, um, 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 by the way, does, oh, no, no, you were right the first time. No, no, no. They don't find out about Spider-Man being back until the end of this caper. Okay. You're right. Sandman says he's only the first before we're through. We're going to finish off every crime fighter in the area. Wow. So I think maybe, so that's it. maybe just Johnny got in the way on accident or something of a, yeah. of a bank robbery or whatever they were going to do. Although it's funny because, you know, now that we've read this with strange tales behind us, Sandman is also a torch villain. That is true. It is a little, also a little weird for me that he's not a loner right now. Like it feels weird for him to be the boss of a group of people. Some for some reason. Yeah. Um, but he's it, the one taking orders, not giving them. So has Ox ever talked before? I thought he was the strong, silent type. But uh, that's a good point. I don't know if he was always silent, but he definitely doesn't usually talk very much. Well, he talked a lot in this one. I found. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so here we go again with the whole like just enough oxygen to breathe, but not flame on, which seems like. Uh, maybe that's possible, but is that possible? I don't know. Like if if there's ah. enough air for you to breathe, I feel like that's enough oxygen for a fire to catch too. I mean, you couldn't do both maybe. So maybe that's what it is. Oh, because he does say something like, where is that? He says something like, if he flames on, he would choke. Oh, yeah. So, so it's either has, one it's or the choice. other, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, they got they got that um, they got that prison jar at the uh, the same catalog that the Batman villains shop at because they, they always have that same hamster torture thing. Right. <laughs> the stuff with Peter at school is very, very believable. The whole like flash and Liz, mm-hmm. how she's mad at him for being unreasonably mad at her. Uh-huh. Like, I, I feel like that is teenage drama at its height. She didn't hit on Peter though. Is she done with him? No, I don't think she's done with him. I think she's just, just, just um, busy being mad at flash. Didn't notice busy being. Yeah. I also love the breakfast scene with um, Ant-Man and Peter. I know like people just throw Ant-Man or the bus all the time, but I do like 
their relationship because it is just the two of them against the world kind of you know it is and it's nice to see her healthy again and they're like just you know she's making him smile and he's making her she's making him breakfast and yeah that was all good stuff to me and he flirts with her yeah like it's it's fun and it's cute and he's not really related to her anyway so hey right might as well (laughs) (laughs) and then we get ned and betty okay so two things. One, my first Spider-Man collecting or reading was my brother's collection, and that was right at the prime time of Hobgoblin, the original. Right. And that was like, who's Hobgoblin? And there's all these suspects. And one of the suspects was Ned Leeds. And all I knew about Ned was he was a guy who used to date Betty and is kind of a jerk now. Right. Like his spider, his, like Peter's spider sense would always go off when Ned was around. And he just assumed it's because Ned was an a-hole or something. Um, so it's so weird to see Ned, like just this congenial sixties kid looking character. That's not how I think of Ned Leeds at all. He doesn't really get any complexity to his personality until, um, think that their love triangle kind of gets a bit more intense and then he starts to get some anger and frustration towards Peter. Mm -hmm. Um, mainly, well, we'll talk about as it, as it goes along. Um, but yeah. And where I am in my Spider-Man read-through is that Ned Leeds is the Hobgoblin. Right. Ned Leeds was revealed to be the Hobgoblin, and for years, Ned Leeds was the Hobgoblin. It wasn't until the original Hobgoblin writers, I think Roger Stern, uh-huh. came back and like re- And fin- you know, finished what they wanted to do originally, yeah. Essentially. Right. So, um, but in any case, he is going to be, you know, fatally Killed? destroyed during yeah. the whole Hobgoblin thing. Um, Fate- fatally destroyed, what word is that? So uh, so here's the weird thing about these scenes. Like, how come we're not getting Peter Thought Bubbles? Like, is he doing this as a strategy? Or is he legitimately happy for her? Or does he legitimately think that Ned is not competition for him? Or does he just not care about Betty so much right now because he's Spider-Man again? What is going on? You know, it's weird. Uh, it is weird. It's weird that we're not getting bubbles. So we're kind of left to sort of interpret it on our own. And and that's how I read it. He's so on top of the world that the impact of this is not really hitting him. Right. Because um, it's, I mean, it's going to. He's not going to like that she's dating Ned Leeds. Yeah. But this, he's not really in a position to care about it right now. This just goes back to my jerk Peter Parker point last issue where, like, he only wants Betty when he can't be Spider-Man. And now he can be Spider-Man again. So who cares about Betty? Yeah. Yeah. And as far so, as Betty, like, I know it sucks because we're always, like, painting her as crazy, but she is a little like that sometimes. But I also believe, like, last issue, she legit was trying to just date other people to get over Peter. And sure, now she's, like, kind of annoyed that Peter isn't upset about that. But that's just human emotions for you. I'm not sure she was planning it that way. Like, I don't think she was dating Ned to make Peter jealous initially. I right. don't know. I don't know. I think it's just having a reaction to her that way that she, she maybe didn't expect. Did we see her laughing with somebody coming Ned. out of the, ho- the yeah. theater or something? Yeah, Ned. Yeah, that was this guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I don't think she was dating him to rub it in Peter's face. In fact, I don't. I don't think so either. She didn't even know he was there when he saw him. So. So she and Peter have had some rocky times, and so she goes out with another guy to just kind of distract herself. I like that interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think maybe she's getting closer to Ned than she expected to. Hmm. Um, but since her, you know, connection with Peter is kind of up in the air right now anyway, um, I think she has more genuine feelings for Peter than she has for Ned. So far. But she's, yeah. yeah, she's just not sure what to do with them. Because he betrayed her. So 
He doesn't. Right. She doesn't want him to do that again. And he's apologized, but she didn't want to hear it, so she's seeing no. other people. But now Peter's there, and she's like, "Oh, but he." So it's kind of so back, it's kind of backfiring. Like instead of the traditional, like Peter finding not taking her for granted anymore, she's almost not taking Peter for granted anymore because of his reaction to, the, to all this. Is she going to get over his betrayal based only because he's not jealous enough of her seeing other people? <laughs> Maybe that's what's funny. <laughs> kind of. Gosh, what a creepo! Uh, so Johnny's in the um, in the in the uh, cylinder, and they say. You know, we've got the perfect bait for our trap, his bratty pal, the human torch. Mm -hmm. And Torch says, you're a fool, Sandman. Spider-Man is no pal of mine. Mm -hmm. I like to think that Johnny would have responded differently here if not for last issue. When he reached out to Spider-Man, tried to connect with him to make sure he was okay, and Spider-Man never showed. Possibly, but also I think they both are just fooling each other by constantly dogging on on each other, even though... um they also have respect for each other. Yeah. I don't know. Or it, also it, you could say he's, he's trying to like make it so that they can't use him as a, as a ransom or a hostage or a trap. I feel like he was genuinely hurt by Spider-Man's lack of appearance last issue. Like yeah. in 17, whenever he's at the Spider-Man fan club, you can see the respect for Spider-Man there. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they do a pretty good brief team up. Um, even if it's sort of like hesitant friendship kind of thing. Uh huh. But in 18, it's just like, well, I thought there was something there. But I guess there's not. Yep. He's just a coward who disappeared. I love panels where Spider-Man blends into a shadow, which happens on page 14. Because, you know, his suit was originally black and red, not blue and red. Uh-huh. And just that part where it's like shadows and the redness is just like sticking out of the shadows. That's pretty great. That is very cool. And the, oh my gosh, the Sandman trap on top of the cylinder. That is such great storytelling with with Ditko and... And the art there, I love, love that sequence. Sandman is a very cool villain visually, always has been. But the fact that Ditko invented him just makes so much sense to me because we take this stuff for granted. But who was sitting at home one day going, how about a guy that's made of sand and he can just shape change into weird stuff? And right. yeah, that's just crazy awesome. And he's gotten more creative with it as time has gone on. Sandman mm-hmm. is a lot more fluid uh-huh. in his presentation these days than he was in, say, issue four. Yeah, originally that was just like you could punch through him. Right. And now he's like creating sand block hand shapes and stretching across rooms and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. At the bottom of 15, Spider-Man says, you didn't think one punch could rock me, did you? Who am I, Guy Gardner? (laughs) Which is really weird because there's no Guy Gardner yet. So he's like predicting. Right. It's it's like this weird future reference. Mm Mm-hmm. And the um, whenever Torch is free, the the banter between Spider Man and Torch this is peak like Torch Spidey banter to me. It's it's great. Yeah, this is so much above Strange Tales Annual too. Yeah, the whole webbing <laughs> thing is hilarious. I love their how comical Ditko draws it, like especially those bottom two panels where they're just like st- right, kind of just stuck and waiting. And meanwhile, like the the real heroes end up being the police who wrap it up for them because they're too busy being stuck and stupid. That's pretty funny. That was fun. And uh, yeah, Spider-Man kind of makes his little parting jab about, you'll get the credit like you always do while I take a powder. Um, that goes back to the beginning of their relationship where they were mad at each other for, you know, being such glory hogs. Only Torch actually is a glory hog. Mm-hmm. Torch is one of those people who does not realize his own failings and gets mad at others when he sees his own failings in them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he accuses Spider-Man of hogging all the press whenever he is actually the press hog. 
What a complicated character. If only they had given him his own book or story or something. Anyway. And, and done something interesting with it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's more there's more of this thought bubbleless scenes with Ned and Betty that I'm still trying to figure out if he's just being a creep or not. He's even like his face even looks creepy and weird. I don't know. Yeah, like a fake smile. Like a fake bravado or I don't know. I love her face on the last line, like, um, okay, see you later. Weird. <laughs> what happened? Have I really lost him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, the time flow is interesting. We get um, a note that the whole thing with um, Sandman giving Spider-Man a hard time in issue 18 was last month. Yeah, so, he retired for a month, I guess. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a while. And um, yeah, the only other thing in the issue is, do you have any idea what's going on on the last page? I recognize that flat top. <laughs> <laughs> So while while I don't know why this person is trailing Peter. Oh, I do too. I can guess why. Why? Because he wants to know how he's getting those pictures. Right. All right. So you're there. Yeah. You're a lot swifter than six-year-old me was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do make it difficult in a way because they have him hunching. So it's like it almost looks like a different person. But Yes. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think because you mentioned already that there's going to be some – attacks in the future so i guess i just put it together okay so i'm pretty sure i'm just double checking right now this is the last spider-man sandman story for a long time oh really that's interesting yeah um, well he's I'm got so many awesome villains i guess they don't need to repeat so often let's see over at the uh i, I like two different websites for my chronologies the uh marvelreading.com is great but for a quick check because it's uh, just mainly text and less picture uh, chronologyproject.com is a pretty great site. And um, let's see. Yeah. After this, Sandman joins the uh, Frightful Four. And okay. uh, he's not in another Spider-Man comic for a really long time. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I just, I always associate with him with Spider-Man. He was in Spider-Man in these first 20 issues I read as a kid. He was a Spider-Man character in the 90s, early 90s, whenever I was getting back into comics as an adult. Although he was doing his whole, like, Silver Sable Wild Pack thing for a while. But, you know, he was in some Spider-Man. He's a great character. Um, I'm not sure this is my favorite Sandman story. Because, again, I don't really like him being, like, a mob leader type. I'd rather him just be a loner guy that could hit or miss whether he agrees with you or not, whether you're a villain or a hero. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he gets to that point pretty soon and it's awesome. Maybe he's inspired by the whole Sinister Six thing. He's like, well, maybe I could do a better job leading. So let me get some guys together. Oh, these enforcers, they need a big man. I'll be the big man. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess that's it so, for the month, right? The, no, not for the month yet. That's oh, next episode. Next episode. I jumped the gun. You did. But that is it for the end of, uh, that is it for the episode. So maybe I'll tell them what they should read so they can finish off the month next month, next episode. Yeah. Let's, that let's good. What's do homework? that. The homework is Tales of Suspense number 60, which is Cap fighting things and Iron Man still stuck in a suit. And then we have Fantastic Four number 33. Maybe I won't reveal that because, you know, the advertisement didn't want to either. They team up with somebody. So check that out. And Avengers number 10, the first appearance of Immortus. And that'll wrap up our month. 
All right. Well, we have um, some people who've been following us over on Twitter lately. Going to run through quite a few names here. So the Peerless Power of Comics, at Peerless Power, a comic reader since my early teens. I take a fond look back at Marvel titles as well as some guilty pleasures. Thanks for following us. Battlejuice at Battlejuice4. Battlejuice, Battlejuice, Battlejuice. <laughs> he didn't show up in now my house. Now you've done it. So. Okay, good. No, I've done it. Ron Speedy Saunders at Speedy's Podcast. Be a superhero in home business podcast. Learn how to succeed and help others. When I see his name, I think of Speed Saunders from DC. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. I remember that guy. Chronicles Podcast. Chronicles with a Z on the end. Uh, host of the show, folks. We cover politics, sports, entertainment, etc. The 13th Crusader at 13th Crusader, Chief Creative Officer of at Undercover Capes, host of You See the Capes podcast. We have Bah at H Write and Revise, London Lee at London Lee 62, expat Brit designer, blogger, and t shirt salesman is a T public site there. Toppest Power Designs at Toppest Power, also a um, clothing designer. Big Guy at Noble Firstborn. Thank you for following us. Okay, so the next person is a person who has been like a supporter of my shows um, for for several months now. Uh, I thought they were following us. I was surprised. I was like, hey, this person's following you now. But Jeffrey Brown at Tsujigo, he is, uh, they are rather a writer artist of the Valkyrie Quartet. Um, they post a lot of comics and art, sometimes not safe for work, but they are a very fun person to know on the internet. And they've been a really great supporter of my shows. Um, Thad Pittman or maybe Tad Pittman, the real Tad Pittman. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him currently playing mandolin at spotlights and the banjo and grilling. Cause this is Texas. Makes we've sense. Got quite a, yeah. <laughs> we've got quite a few people here. I'm just going to run through the last few. Um, actually no, cause we're gonna do another recording. So I'll just save these last few for next time. All right. All right. Um, where can they find us on the Twitters and everything else? On the Twitters, it's Make Ours Marvel. On the Facebook, it's Make Ours Marvel. On the website, it's MakeOursMarvel.com, which have links to Twitter and Facebook if you'd rather just click that way. Uh, and there's also links to the RSS feed and the iTunes link and the Stitcher link and the Google Play link, um, 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 as well as a contact form that you can use to write us. Or you could just write to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com every once in a while as of this recording. No, well, whatever. Yeah, every once in a while we do a uh, mailbag episode and, and read and respond. So if you have any thoughts or corrections or predictions or whatever, please send them our way. We'd love to hear them. So that wraps us this episode. We will be back next week for the rest of September. And until then, or until the enforcers come back, working for the big man again. Make ours marvel. Marvel.